The Heather McCoy Show. Welcome back to The Heather McCoy Show. I'm here with my first guest, Neil DeMouse, co-author of the book Field of Schemes, and he runs a blog with the same name, fieldofschemes.com. Welcome, Neil. I'm very glad to be here. So we're in election year, and a lot of times the federal government gets blamed for local problems. And uh, what started you off with uh, writing the book Field of Schemes? Oh, gosh, this was now more than 15 years ago, and my co-author Joanna Kagan and I were working on a little uh, political zine in Brooklyn um, at a time when uh, Mayor Giuliani at the time in New York was talking about building a new stadium for the Yankees um, at the same time that he was cutting budgets for libraries and things like that. And uh, Joanna's from Cleveland, and this was when the Browns were moving from Cleveland to Baltimore, and Cleveland was talking about building a new stadium to get a new Browns team at the same time their schools were in receivership. And we thought, wow, isn't this a funny story? You know, what, a, what an odd coincidence that two different cities are going through similar scenarios. Um, and, of course, started researching it and immediately discovered that it was something going on pretty much in every city in the country. You know, either had just built a stadium or was being asked to build a stadium or was sort of off on the, on the horizon. Um, and, uh, you know, have spent uh, ever since then, the, you know, the uh, time writing the book and revising the book and working on this website. And I don't think I'm ever going to be able to escape this topic now. Yeah, I mean, you do it very well. So basically, it's an opportunity cost. When you build a stadium for a wealthy sports owner, you're taking away from something else that can be built with that, or used for that money. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a bunch of different ways of looking at it. You know, if you want to look at what else you can do with the money, um, you know, there are you know tons of different things you know that have been shown to be better for the economy. I mean, you know, the top things that uh, that uh, you know business executives want when talking about where to relocate their businesses are always schools and like you know transportation infrastructure. Nobody ever says I want to be near a, a you know football stadium. They may say it, but it's not going to be what makes their decision. Um, if you look at the Per job costs, you know, a decent job creation program is usually somewhere ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars per job per full-time job, and sports facilities usually come in a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, quarter million dollars per job. Um, you know, they're they're horrible bang for your buck, no matter how you slice it. Um, but you know, that's not why these things are getting built. Yeah, and I and I think in your book you explain basically the lifespan of these facilities is getting shorter and shorter, and now we're looking at arenas that are quote unquote outdated in twenty years. Yeah, my favorite quote on this was uh, ten years ago now when I uh, talked to Rod Fort, who's a, a sports economist who studies these things, um, and the Magic, Orlando Magic, were looking for a new arena, and their old one was maybe about twelve years old. And I said to Rod, you know, we used to talk about the shelf life of a stadium being like 30 or 40 years. You know, what do you think it is now? And he said, from the perspective of a sports team owner, I don't see anything wrong with getting a new stadium every year, <laughs> as long as I'm not the one paying for it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's true. I think the, really the only thing limiting um, when teams get new buildings or when teams ask for new buildings is, is sort of the level of chutzpah. Um, and so, you know, now you see teams that, like the Atlanta Falcons or the St. Louis Rams that got new stadiums in the 90s saying, oh, my God, this thing is ancient. <laughs> it's practically falling down, and people are embarrassed to go to it. We need a new one. Yeah, well, I mean, the St. Louis Rams is kind of crappy from the start, though. <laughs> it was really dark in there. Yeah, well, I mean, and, you know, there are some, certainly some bad designs. Uh, yeah. But, you know, again, that's not necessarily the taxpayer's problem. No, not at all. So, um your book is quite a lengthy volume, and you 
talk with a lot of community activists. How many, how much uh, like airline miles did you rack up meeting with these people? Oh, you know, it was a lot of a lot of car trips. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, fortunately, there were enough. Uh, you know, I'm I'm on the East Coast, and and there were enough. Uh, uh, Horrible stadium scams within driving distance, you know, along the East Coast and in the Midwest that I could that I could handle that, and and Joanna handled part of it as well. Um, so yeah, it, it's I mean that, that's really the amazing thing is that it's n- not hard to find um, these things going on pretty much everywhere, even in you know smaller cities. You have like minor league teams asking for you know I think like Allentown, Pennsylvania has been engaged in some like hockey arena scandal for the last. <laughs> And it really, you know, has become sort of um, part of the sports business. You know, that's their business model is, well, we ask the public to build the buildings for us, and then we sell the tickets and make the money off of that. Um, and it's really an amazing turnaround in, you know, really just about 20 years. That's not how things operated, even as late as the 1980s. Then, if the public built a stadium, the team would be expected to pay rent and pay off the cost. That's what happened with the Metrodome in Minneapolis. Yeah. Um, and really starting with Skydome in Toronto, Camden Yards, um, some of the basketball arenas that went up in the late 80s, that the whole business model just turned around. And you mentioned in the book that's because of the 1986 Tax Reform Act on the tax-free bonds. How did that work exactly? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is one of the... the be careful what you wish for things. In, in 1986, um, the Congress actually passed a law saying that, okay, people have been using these tax-exempt bonds, which are supposed to be used for building, like, you know, parks or libraries or things that don't make any money, um, but are public goods. They've been, you know, cities have been taking them and using them to build sports stadiums. That's ridiculous that, the, you know, they get a tax break on that. The team gets a you know, break on their costs. Um, we need to put a you know, stop to this. So they said, okay, anything that is predominantly used by um, a private sports team can't use, um, and, is, and is predominantly paid for by a private sports team can't use these tax-exempt bonds. So the teams turned around and said, oh, okay, well, you pay for it then. Yeah. And, you know, basically use this excuse to dump even more of the cost back on the public. And, you know, for whatever reason, it's something we get into in the book, um, you know, governors and mayors and city councils um, did not push back on this. Yeah, and I think it's, the, I mean, um, the biggest sweetheart deal, I think, is the Indiana Pacers. The city actually play, pays them to play there? Yeah, I mean, that continually amazes me. I mean, it was one of the most sweetheart deals to start with in that the Pacers got their new arena completely for free and pay a dollar a year rent. Wow. But then they were complaining that they had to pay to, like, maintain the place that they play in. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, which is like me getting, a, you know, a house for free and then complaining that I have to, you know, pay the gas bill. Um, but they got away with it and are now getting paid, you know, several million dollars a year by Indiana to play in their own free stadium. Um, and, you know, I would love to say that I think that that's going to be the last of it, but, you know, again, the, the level of chutzpah and the amount of, uh, you know, what team owners are willing to ask for is really just limited by, you know, what they think they can get away with. Yeah, so what are some of the common uh, tactics in dealing with the city that team owners uh, deploy? Oh, you know, I mean, this really hasn't changed at all. You know, we first worked up this, the, what became Chapter 4 of the book, um, you know, the Art of the Steel, sort of the playbook of uh, of what team owners 
say, we first worked this up, you know, again, like 15 years ago, and it hasn't really changed. You, know, you say the old place is outmoded. You say we can't possibly win if we don't have a new place. You say, um, you know, we'll move if we can't get one. And, you know, teams say this regardless of whether it's true or not. You know, the Yankees were saying that they were going to move, maybe would have to move to Charlotte, North Carolina, if they didn't get a new stadium back in the 90s. Which, you know, the whole reason the Yankees are the Yankees is they play in New York. They would not be a tremendously valuable franchise in Charlotte, but they said it. Um, you know, Rudy Giuliani um, said uh, in the midst of that whole fight that, uh, you know, there's no way the Yankees could possibly compete with the Baltimore Orioles if they didn't get a new stadium. In 1998, he said this, the year they went on to win 114 games. So, wow. um, yeah, it, 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 the teams and, and their backers make these arguments all the time. Almost none of them are true. Oh, the other one, big one, of course, is that there's going to be a big economic boon. From oh, it. yeah. You'll know, create jobs, and, you know, it'll, it'll revitalize neighborhoods. You know, it's, go to any um, arena or, or stadium district and look around, and you might see a couple new sports bars, but it's not like it you know, completely turns around neighborhoods. The neighborhoods that are thriving around at arenas and stadiums are the ones, um, you know, like South Market in San Francisco or, uh, you know, the area around Coors Field in Denver that were already built up before that and starting to boom. Um, so it's, uh, you know, same thing with, I think, Gaslamp in, uh, in San Diego. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you've got an area that's, that's, that's already starting to take off, yeah, sure, putting an arena or a stadium there will bring in some more people and be more people to go to the restaurants that are already there. But is anybody going to open a restaurant just to be across the street from a stadium that's dark three quarters of the year? I don't think so. Yeah, and winning the also also the other thing too is they often cite the Cleveland Indians as though your winning percentage will go up dramatically if you do this, but they don't ever cite those San Diego Padres. Yeah, well, I mean, at this point, everybody has a new stadium pretty much. Yeah, uh, and everybody can't win 100 games and win the World Series every year. Um, you know, the Cleveland Indians had um, an advantage of you know, being one of the few teams that had new stadiums at the time. And they had, you know, Jim Tomey and Kenny Lofton and, uh, and Manny Ramirez all coming out of their farm system and were able to sign them to pretty reasonable deals. So they had a tremendously successful team, you know, with a honeymoon period for this new stadium and people were still curious about it and traveling there from other places. You know, now if you're the Padres or the Cincinnati Reds or something like that, you open a new stadium and, you know, maybe the first year a few people go saying, oh, hey, new stadium, but, you know, there's new stadiums all over the country, so it's not like it's going to be this massive tourist draw. Yeah. So with the current stadium issues, um, the King, with the Kings winning the Stanley Cup, I was expecting a flood of like AEG conquers the world and we'll build an NFL stadium next down next door to uh, Staples type stories in the local media. Um, where are we with Ford, our farmers field? You know, I think the problem with the AEG stadium is we're just seeing how difficult it is to finance one of these things, you know? I mean, the the plan that they have would use some public money, but a lot of private money, and a lot of it would, you know, require, um, you know, the owner of the team to put up a, a good chunk of change. And, uh, you know, I think that the problem that you're having is nobody particularly wants to, you know, pull up stakes and move to Los Angeles um, in order to, you know, get a deal that's not really a lot more lucrative than what they could get in, you know, wherever they are now. I mean, you know, the Vikings, um, you know, Ziggy Wolf, you know, finally got his, his stadium deal up in Minnesota. Um, and, you know, what L.A. was offering wasn't anything close to what he got there. Um, you know, football is so weird because everything is based on national TV contracts, right? Yeah. 
So, you know, it's not like being in Los Angeles is a huge advantage. In baseball, right, if they were trying to build a baseball stadium, if, if L.A. didn't have a baseball team, people would be flocking there even if they had to pay the entire thing out of their own pocket because, you know, in baseball, you know, having those local cable deals is huge. In football, it doesn't matter because it's all you get the same, you know, Fox check every year regardless of where you play. Um, and I think that's exactly the reason why L.A. has a baseball, you know, two baseball teams, the L.A. area, right, has two baseball teams and two basketball teams and, you know, and hockey and no football. Yeah. Um, because, um, you know, in football, it really doesn't matter whether you're in a big market, which is why you have, you know, Green Bay and, uh, and not Los Angeles. No. And Jacksonville. And... Yeah, Jacksonville, yeah. absolutely, yeah. So, you know, I, the, I've been saying for years, you know, the NFL, you know, if they could get – um, you know, money to build 30 stadiums, like, you know, across, like, Estonia or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> everybody, everybody watches the thing on TV anyway. It doesn't matter. It's yeah. really just wherever the most lucrative stadium deal is they want to go. And I think one of the things, too, that should be said about the new stadiums is I noticed there's massive seat reductions. Like, I think the new Yankee Stadium only has, like, 3,000 less seats than the old one did. and it's, it's actually more like seven or 8,000. Oh, really? Because, yeah, they, cause they, they counted in the new seating a lot of standing room. Okay. Um, so I think they might sell like 5,000 less tickets or something like that, but a bunch of those are for, are for standing room. Um, yeah, that's absolutely typical, you know, sort of the, the, uh, the artificial scarcity um, um, uh, plan, which is, you know, teams have looked around at stadiums like Fenway Park in Boston, where, you know, the, the capacity is very small, but because the team is popular, you can then, you know, sell out your entire season in January um, for tremendous prices. And I think the Yankees were like, you know, why are we, why are we having an extra, why, why should we build an extra 10,000 seats, right? Just to sell them to people for ten or fifteen bucks a pop, we don't care about them. Yeah, you know, we care about being able to say, okay, we want to sell fifty thousand seats, or you know, some teams are talking about forty thousand seats, thirty-five thousand seats. You talk about what the Oakland A's want to build in San Jose. Um, we want to sell a smaller number of seats for a higher price, rather than you know trying to worry about filling a fifty thousand seat stadium every day. Um, and it's again, it's one of those shifts in sort of the sports business world that is really interesting and, you know, again, um, reduces the benefit of, the, of a new stadium to the fans because, you know, it's not like you're, you know, the, the, the 35,000 people who still fit in the stadium get the same view. It just means that the last ten or 15,000 people who otherwise could have been there for a big game have to watch on TV. Yeah. And the 35,000 people who are there have to pay a higher price. Yeah. I always thought the the reduction of average fan seating and the expansion of the luxury suites was kind of a reflection on what was happening with the overall economy as well. Oh yeah, I, I think none of this would have been possible if you didn't have you know the dramatic increase in spending power um, of a small percentage of the U.S. population over the last you know twenty twenty five years. Um, and you know if if we still had the you know more equal economy that we did in the 1970s i think we would probably still have the you know more equal spread of uh, of ticket prices or something closer to that you know the reason that you can build a lot of luxury suites is that there are a lot of people out there who can buy them well thank you very much neil um we'll look forward to your uh, weekly stadium debauchery updates and <laughs> see where it goes from there looking forward to yeah, it yeah neil demaus the author of Field of Schemes, and he runs a blog of the same name, fieldofschemes.com. Thank you for being on the Heather McCoy Show on KUCI.